0: Hello and welcome to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Don't adjust your radio, it's not Benson, this is Zach. I'm filling in this week because he's out of town, but I know where he keeps the spare key to the studio, so you got me this week, by myself, in the studio, access to Benson's fridge and all his stuff. It's going to be fun, we're going to talk about some hockey, because I can. I'm going to play some of my favorite old interviews from the show, because I can. Who knows? We may do some other fun stuff. You never know, because I have no script. I don't know what we're going to do. Just keep in mind that I do wear glasses, so I look a lot smarter than I probably will sound. At a horse race in Australia, jockey Blake Shin showed a side of him that nobody expected when the elastic in his pants broke mid-race. His pants came down, but there was nothing he could do, so he finished the race with his bare bottom exposed. He later tweeted, tried to give my fellow jocks a bum steer, but unfortunately backfired. Alas, he didn't win the race, but props to him for taking a crack at it. I don't know about you, but my first thought when I read this story was about the riders behind him. Um, if you've ever seen a horse race, the highest point on a jockey, is their backside. They're crouched way down, their face is right next up to the horse, their butt's up in the air. If there's anybody behind him, that guy on the horse can only look one place, and that's straight ahead. So probably an uncomfortable home stretch for anybody riding behind Blake Shin. The NFL released his 2015 schedule recently. The Philadelphia Eagles will play three of their first four games on the road for kind of an unexpected reason. Uh, a visit from the Pope. Philly Archbishop Charles J. Chapit asked the NFL not to schedule games in Philly during the Pope's stay and the League Obliged. Uh, they're expecting a couple million people to be watching the Pope and not going to football games, so no game while the Pope is there. NFL Senior VP of Broadcasting Howard Katz told the Monday morning quarterback that my name may be Katz, but I wasn't taking any chances. Speaking of holy ground in Philadelphia, in addition to the Pope, you may have heard by now, unless you live in a cave, that the Eagles have also added Tim Tebow. Philly has taken Tebowmania to a whole new and previously unheard of level. Now you can eat it. The Philly pretzel factory has started producing a pretzel shaped in the likeness of Tebow in his signature one-knee prayer pose. No word on whether fellow Eagles quarterback Mark Sanchez will get a butt-fumble pretzel. This got me thinking of other famous athletes and their famous moments that might be good on a pretzel. I was thinking maybe the Odell Beckham Jr. three-finger catch, because nothing says I made the greatest catch of all time like baking it and dipping it in cheese sauce. We try to keep politics out of our sports talk, but every now and then the two intersect. Uh, This week, the NFL champion New England Patriots visited the White House, President Barack Obama made some jokes at their expense, saying, I usually tell a bunch of jokes at these events, but with the Patriots in town, I was worried that 11 out of 12 of them would fall flat. Bill Belichick, who wore a suit, of Bill Belichick, who wore a suit, Obama also added, I'm particularly grateful that Coach decided to dress up today. We had some scissors in case he wanted to cut the sleeves off. The New York Islanders are playing their last game in Nassau Coliseum, last games, before their move to Brooklyn next season, but some fans aren't content to wait for souvenirs of their old building. Apparently, after their first playoff game against the Washington Capitals last weekend, fans tore out seats using tools they'd brought from home and somehow smuggled them out past security, leaving the Islanders' front office to get new ones installed before their next game. While their passion and dedication and nostalgia are, I guess, admirable? Those fans apparently don't think the Islanders are going to survive much longer in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I
1: find your lack of faith
2: disturbing.
0: Figures Darth Vader would be an Islanders fan. They're the dark side of New York City. I'm wondering, how do you steal the seat from a hockey game? How do you sneak it out so nobody sees it? Were there a lot of guys leaving the stadium with flat, very flat abs that didn't have them when they came in? Were they wearing winter coats? You know, I, I'm struggling to picture people stealing seats from a hockey arena. If you've ever done it, tweet the show at BTGProgram. Let us know how you stole a seat. I'm kind of hoping some of you have. This should be an interesting story. If you don't want to tweet us, you can visit our Facebook. You can go to BTGProgram.com and email us through the website. You can go to our Instagram. After the break, we're going to hear an interview we did last year with MMA fighter Chad Robichaud you don't want to miss it stay tuned this is benson and those guys brought to you by town and country has solutions
2: with all the snow and ice this year a lot of people are having problems with water leaking into their homes they're finding water in their kitchens, damaged drywall, and ruined floors. If you have this problem, call Tim Ford with Imperial Remodeling at 490-4027. They will remove the snow and ice from your roof and gutters to prevent further leaking. And they can take care of any damage the water may have already caused. If you are one of the fortunate few who have escaped the ice problems, but are considering some home improvement projects like perhaps remodeling your kitchen or turning that unused area into a man cave, call Tim at 490 490- 4027. He will come out personally to talk to you about your project. That's Tim Ford with Imperial Remodeling 490-4027. That's
3: 490-4027. Title sponsor of Benson and Those Guys is Town and Country Pest Solutions. If you have a pest problem, they are who you need to call. I know it's still cold and snowy outside, but those warm days are right around the corner and those pesky critters are going to start coming out. Town & Country Pest Solutions has been in business for over 25 years and have a team of knowledgeable professionals that guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God.
0: Welcome back to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Last year, we had the privilege to interview MMA fighter Chad Robichaud. Um I went, saw him speak. He's a tremendous guy. We were really honored to have him on the show. He's a veteran of several tours in Afghanistan. He came home with PTSD. He was suicidal at one point. He nearly lost his marriage and his family. But he turned things around. He now works with soldiers who are experiencing what he experienced. At the beginning of the interview, you'll hear Benson give a list of his accomplishments, and it's really very impressive. We were honored to have him. So without further ado, the Benson and Those Guys interview with Chad Robichaud.
2: Brought ...to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. We're joined now by Chad Robichaud. Now, Chad is the president and founder of Mighty Oaks Warrior Foundation. Chad is also an ordained pastor. He has a Ph.D., and MBA. He is a best-selling author. He's done eight tours in Afghanistan. He's a former MMA world champion, a Special Operations Force Recon Marine, and a Medal of Valor recipient. That is a very impressive list. Thanks for joining us, Chad. How are you doing tonight?
1: Uh, I'm doing great. Good to be here. I'm excited to get to New York this
2: week. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Hey, man, I was taken back to see the statistics that I saw on your website associated with post-traumatic stress disorder, 23 veteran per day suicide rate and a 90% divorce rate. Why don't we hear more about this problem?
1: You know, uh, I think people are just uncomfortable talking about the the reality of it. And, uh, you know, if you bring up you bring up issues like this, then, you know, then you think it would be associated with someone having to do something about it, so it's almost easier not to talk about
2: those are incredible numbers now you and your family fought through p t s d can you uh Can you share a little bit what that was like
1: yeah i mean uh i i i would like to say when I came home from the last tour in two thousand and seven is when it started but you know, I believe it you know started early earlier on just through my life of uh you know the job and deploying overseas and the things that we you know as a you know in the special operations community. Uh, working in isolated environments and just the demand of deploying over and over and over again just started to wear on me and I became this kind of bitter and cold person. Started, uh, you know, changing the way I interacted with my family as far as uh, disassociating myself, being more comfortable in Afghanistan than I was back at home and just wanting to be there constantly and kind of shelving my humanity, feeling that I had to make the decision to put my humanity and my my Christianity, my faith on a shelf and to do my job in Afghanistan, and you know, the, it eventually caught up with me and came home in 2007. Was diagnosed with a uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and I, I truly had no idea what it was at the time. I, you know, I make a joke when I speak that, you know, when I, when I was told I had PTSD, I thought it was something I contracted um, from the local food or something. I had no idea what what it was, and but it you know it, it uh, almost destroyed my family. We went down this three-year downward spiral, and. Um, you know, and we call it all came crashing down. My wife and I got, I, I got um, moved out of the home. We got separated, and uh, for about three months, and uh, and you know, almost lost everything that was most important to me. During that during that three years, however, I, everything looked really successful. I was able to, I was able to make it look good on the surface because I didn't want to, anybody to know I had problems. So I kind of uh, found ways to hide them. One one was uh, uh, through my um, experience as an athlete. You know, I've been a, in martial arts and wrestled my whole life, and even before going to Afghanistan, um, I was already competing as a professional MMA fighter. So I just really dove into that and opened a school. I had about um a thousand students and uh, I was fighting on Showtime and Strike Force and main event on Bellator and some really big venues. I was undefeated and everyone um kinda lifted me up and told me everything I wanted to hear. But uh I didn't have anybody in my life really at the time that told me the things I needed to hear and uh and I really um isolated myself and it was just a big fake facade, you know, of, of success, but underneath uh, all that, I was really struggling. I was, uh, you know, felt, felt very weak for having failed. I felt, I thought felt, I, felt I had failed in my job as a, you know, in, in Afghanistan. And, um, you know, it all came crashing down. My wife, uh, brought me divorce papers and she, uh, she told me, she said, uh, how can you do the things you did, and, you know, deployed, be willing to die for your country? Um, how could you train for the fight? She watched me train for MMA fights and see how hard the work ethic it took to get ready for MMA fight, especially like losing weight, cutting the weight. And she's like, how could you do all these things? When it comes to your family, you'll quit. And, uh, you know, I had, and she was right. I had, I had quit on the most important things in my life. And, uh, one of the first things was, uh, you know, my, my faith had been just totally rattled and I lost my faith. And and, uh, my health, I quit on my own health. I quit on my, um, my role as a husband and my role as a, as a father. I quit on all the most important things in my life. And it was just something to reflect on. And, uh, it was a very low moment in my life. And I, but I knew at that time that I had to take the same t- tools and skills and disciplines that had made me successful in my professional life, because had been pretty successful in my professional life. I'd take those, take those things and apply them where it mattered most.
2: Was it that uh, moment that, uh, that, was that the rock bottom moment where that, you know, that realization of all that you've been, uh, fighting against was working against you? Is, is that when you started to recover from this? Yeah,
1: that that was my, that was definitely my rock bottom moment. I mean, that time my wife and I were apart, uh, was probably the time that I was most, uh, most suicidal. Um, I, I wanted to, you know, I thought, um, besides most of the other veterans that you see 23 a day, I, I thought that my family's life would be easier without me. Um, I didn't want to face the issues that I, were, that I was dealing with. I didn't want to go to a counselor. I didn't want a doctor. I didn't want to be stuck on a bunch of pills. Uh, you know, I had friends, that were, and I see these guys now. They're you know, 23 pills a day, 25 pills a day for, for PTSD. I didn't want to be living that way. So, um, you know, you, you start thinking there's no hope. There's no way out, and, and I was there, and, um but you know a good friend to work with he says uh rock bottom ended up being a pretty good foundation to build on and uh you know that's where we were we, we, we were right there at rock bottom and when I made this these decisions I um I, I was 180 degrees uh uh it was 180 degrees during my life and I made a pretty drastic uh change and and, uh, and I committed to it and it wasn't it wasn't easy but um but you know looking back it was it was worth it and um you know not only not only uh I get better, but it became the foundation to build uh to build our uh, to build our ministry off of.
2: How did you uh, you mentioned that you were in, you were involved in MMA prior to Afghanistan? How'd you first get involved in MMA as as a professional?
1: You know, I I'm probably like a lot different, different generation of the MMA fighter as uh, a lot of the young guys today. Um, I mean, I've been competing. Or I've been a professional since, um, 1999, I think, my first professional fight. So for me, uh, you know, wrestling and, uh, doing martial arts as a kid, I competed my whole life. So competing in MMA was never like, I want to be a professional MMA fighter one day. It was just a natural progression. I just competed and I competed and there was an next level competition. And, you know, there was a point in my life in, in the late 90s where, you know, I had, I uh, had, the opportunity to compete and these, uh, kinda of mixed events that were called uh they were called Pancase or NHB in you know, the host board at the time and they're really uh wasn't on the high profile level that they are now. And uh so I competed. I competed that way and uh then one day I was, you know, competing that way with Amateur and one day I had a friend come and say, Hey there's this tournament, this four man tournament and you can compete in and they'll actually pay you to do it and there's there's gonna be doctors there even, which was like a big plus from the things that I'd been competing in. So uh and then <laughs> un- unbeknownst to me it was it was a professional event and uh, you know, I didn't even know it was a profession I, was, I competed as a professional until after the fact. So much different than now. I never had intentions to be uh you know, be on television fighting and a pro- as a professional athlete, but uh it just it just ended up that way. And um I really love the sport. There's a our sport has a lot of very uh positive people in it, very um a lot of sportsmanship, a lot of loyalty and respect toward as martial artists. So, um, you know, I've been very very proud to be a part of it and watch it grow and and become more accepted.
2: Now you retired, is that correct?
1: I've retired several times. Oh. <laughs> you <laughs> oh, should yeah. have read Leonard. <laughs> yeah, I've retired several times. I'm 38 years old. I, I, I fought this last October. Uh, I fought Andrew Yates, um, on, on NBC Sports. He's a, he was undefeated, uh, 24 year old. Uh, you know, and, and, um, the opportunity has presented itself several times to put, you know, to both put my ministry on center stage and, and what we do on center stage, uh, you know, on a network like NBC Sports or NBC or, uh, you know, MTV, Showtime, all those opportunities have presented themselves, Met as well. And, you know, it's, it's, so it's hard to say no. However, um, you know, getting to do things like Kingdom Bound that I'm going to get to do this weekend, those are other ways also that I'm getting to do public speaking. I do a lot of public speaking in churches. So I get to, you know, spread the message of what we do in those ways as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has to be a point that I have to hang up those gloves eventually. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking right now, um, maybe have one more, two more fights, or, 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 you know, maybe I'm, I'm done. I don't, I don't know. So every time I say I'm done, I end up, I end up jumping in there again. I am on contract with NBC still to, to, uh, to fight for them. So, uh, it's just a great opportunity to get out there, and, and, and I still love competing. I'm a competitor. Uh, I don't think, uh, if you're a true competitor, I don't think you're ever ready to retire.
2: You've mentioned your ministry. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do?
1: Yeah, so we um, we started the uh, Mighty Oaks Warrior Programs. Uh, as we started off as a foundation, it eventually just became a set of programs, and and we basically built these programs off of the the story I told you about myself. You know, we we take the you take the principles of uh, of these skills and disciplines that uh, that a military guy has, the ability to uh, you know to to orientate themselves towards a goal and, and attack it and, and be successful at, uh, at accomplishing it and put it into the things that matter most in their life. To learn to, what, what are the most important things in my life that I'm, that I'm willing to fight for and, and how do I do that. And uh, we, we partnered with a guy named uh, Tier Screen who's a phenomenal men's pastor. This was right when we started the ministry and um, we started off as, as, as a veterans men's ministry for PTSD. And basically what we're doing is the same thing that, that I did was you know, identifying what, what it, what it is in our life that, that we're willing to fight for and it's worth fighting for. You know, for most of us it would be, you know, our, our, faith and our family and our health and, and those things. And, uh, so the way we, the approach we've taken was, was coming up with this program called Fight Club and, you know, again, identifying what things in life are worth fighting for. We look at, uh, the, the basically blueprint, a blueprint of what a man is, uh, in, in accordance to the Bible. So who God created us to, to be. And we contrast that, uh, to our life. Uh, power life that we're living in. and, and, and looking at that contrast, you find out the areas that you're weak in and, um, through put, through peers, peers, uh, and peer mentorship and, and fight and putting the plans together, kind of figure out ways, figure out ways for each of the guys to move towards, to move towards, uh, uh strengthening these areas. And, and when you do that, PTSD becomes a small thing. You know, if I, uh, if I give a, a guy who came back from Afghanistan, he's just a mess PTSD and I give him all the proper cope. Uh, coping skills and whatever psychologists recommend for him to do they don't work because the guy just doesn't want to want to do them he's got ptsd he's, he's messed up um so he doesn't want to do these he doesn't want to implement these skills so we um we kind of take a step back from ptsd and go a little bit deeper into um who the guy is by uh on an everyday basis how does he manage his time what's character defined and how does he define character how does he um, what's discipline look like in his life? How does he manage his money? How does he look? How does he look at the value of possessions? Uh, how does he manage his marriage and those types of things? If you can manage those things in your life and be more in line with who God created us to be, then uh, PTSD becomes a very easy thing to deal with.
2: Chad, you talk about your your faith. Can you share with us how you first came to meet Jesus as Savior?
1: Well, I started off as a Christian as a young teenager. I, had a, some, I grew up a pretty rough childhood and. Had a family that was a that that was a friend that I was friends with uh, one of the sons, and they went to a, a, a Christian church. So I followed them the church in a you know more stable more stable family environment than I than I had. I followed them to church and 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 uh, was introduced to Christ there. And and I, I think when I got married, I was me, me and my wife were. You know, uh, we were uh, 18 and 19 years old, so we were really young, and she had almost the same similar experience. So we started off our, our marriage uh, going to church, and but we really never had an intimate relationship with God. We never really knew what it meant to truly um, to truly be obedient to God, because we didn't have that model um, for us. You know, we a young married couple. We didn't have a good example of what a marriage looked like, and and those things. So it was really it was really shallow relationship. So when things got really hard uh, you know, bring Afghanistan into picture and those deployments for four years. and things got really hard our foundation our faith the foundation of our faith wasn't able to stand up. Um, so it wasn't until coming home and really following our faith and uh and, and learning you know, what a what a true relationship meant as a Christian and with Christ. And uh so it took me putting some good mentors in my life. Um some good strong Christian men that actually show me what that was show me what a man of God is supposed to look like show us what um a marriage covenant in, in in a relationship with Christ is supposed to look like and uh so that didn't happen until you know later years of my life in two thousand and seven uh was when we really fell fell hard and it was you know three years after that two thousand ten when we before we started um really getting an understanding of what a what it meant to, um to actually live a Live the Christian life and live a, a life by uh, by design—the life that God intended for us to
2: live. The power of solid discipleship. Now you're speaking several times this upcoming week. I got the list here. What uh, what can people expect to hear when you when you share with them?
1: Yeah, you know, we're going to. Um, Kathy and I are going to talk together. And when when Kathy and I uh, speak together, she's going to she's going to be able to speak more on the uh, on the side of a wife. A wife having gone through the hardships of uh the hardships of a. Uh, you know, a husband that wasn't, you know, living in his role as a, as a, uh, as a man of God, um, the hardships that we, we're gonna, we're gonna speak together about, um, our separation, what that looked like, and their, and their redemption that came in it. And, you know, Kathy, uh, loves to speak about forgiveness. She loves, um, she, cause she just, um, I mean, she just has a, this forgiving heart, but it comes from a perspective that it wasn't some naive girl that was just, uh, you know, quick to jump back into a relationship. She, uh, she had to seek true forgiveness and, uh, and true understanding to able to see me the way God sees me. And, um, and there was a lot of, uh, healing that take, take, has taken place. So Kathy's going to speak a lot about, about that. I'm going to speak about, um, I'm going to speak about my experience as a, as a, uh, as a military veteran, as an athlete and the, uh, the, the good and bad. You know, we get out there and we speak, we speak about our, our hardships. We speak about the, um, our weaknesses, you know, just like Paul did, you know, Paul, Paul in the Bible talks about being able to boast. You know, he could have boasted, he could have bragged, he had every right to do so, but he spoke about his weakness because I think that's the power of testimony. We talk about our, we talk about our hardships and the things that we struggle with and we, we glorify God in the, in the, in the ways that we recovered from it and in the, the power of, uh, the power of healing, the power of prayer, the power of that, that uh, God, that God used us to uh, transform our lives and use them and use them ultimately for His glory, and um, I believe everybody has a testimony when when they uh, when they go through a process of redemption and transformation, and ultimately uh, you can use that testimony to fulfill your purpose that God has in your life.
2: Well, what a blessing the, uh, to think, Chad. You know, when your marriage was on the rocks and you were you were struggling, and now here, your wife and you are traveling together and speaking. Engagement that just speaks to the power of God. and uh, Chad, how can people get involved in your ministry? Do you want to share your website? Can they buy books or DVDs or how can they help you?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, if you're, I, I do have a, a number one best selling book. It's uh, it's called Redeployed. And, uh, you know, again, it talks about my story coming home and being redeployed to that new, new fight when you get home. But uh, you know the two ways that people could support us is one is serving California. That's the organization that we run all our programs through at our ranch here in California. We bring veterans here and spouses. We bring them here for totally uh, 100% free to the veterans, free to the spouses, and we, we uh, put them on the same path to healing that me and Kathy went down. So uh, serving California is kind of our, our parent organization to run our programs. Uh, Mighty Oaks Warrior is, is where uh, people could register for our programs and learn more about what we actually do you know, you know in, the, in the trenches and working with these guys. Uh, we get about we get about 30 uh, veterans a month here at, here at the ranch, wow. and most of them are active-duty military. And, again, they're all all, all free. We, we cover everything. So.
2: Chad, thanks for joining us, and may God bless all that you're doing.
0: That was our interview with Chad Robichaud from August 2nd of last year. Just a reminder that that episode and every episode are available to be podcast on iTunes, and on our website, btgprogram.com. You're listening to Zach and the iPad, filling in for Benson and those guys this week. Coming up after the break, some hockey talk. Another one of my favorite interviews, Benson and those guys, is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions.
3: Title sponsor of Benson and those guys is Town & Country Pest Solutions. If you have a pest problem, they are who you need to call. I know it's still cold and snowy outside, but those warm days are right around the corner and those pesky critters are going to start coming out. Town & Country Pest Solutions has been in business for over 25 years and have a team of knowledgeable professionals that guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024 That's 585-426-5024 Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com Town & Country Pest Solutions They fear nothing but God
0: McAfee's Remodeling is a full-service remodeling company Locally owned and operated for nearly two decades McAfee's team of professionals can help remodel or replace your windows And for exterior and interior remodels No one beats their personal and professional service Call McAfee's Remodeling at 585-402-1070. That's 585-402-1070. Or visit them online at mcafeeremodeling.com. Welcome back to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. This is Zach, filling in for Benson, which I'm sure you probably had noticed. We don't talk as much hockey in the show as I would like to, but because it's my show this week, and I want to talk about hockey, we're going to talk about hockey.
3: Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash.
0: Yeah, that's probably true. Anyways, round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs is close to wrapping up, and from the look of things... Round 2 is going to be a lot of fun. Not every series is finished yet, but in most of them, like, for example, the Rangers and the Penguins, one team has a big lead, so it's safe to project the matchups for the next round. So that's what I'm going to do. Start out with the Ducks, who swept the Jets. And that series really gave us one of the coolest moments so far that I really thought was actually kind of powerful, in which the Jets, despite being swept got thunderous ovations from their hometown fans in Winnipeg, which hadn't hosted a playoff game since 1996, mostly because after that season, their franchise was relocated to Arizona, and uh, the new Jets team was not reestablished until 2011. Darren is actually supposedly a Ducks fan, so he would be happy about the sweep if he actually paid any attention. Uh, Funny story, Darren was a Sabres fan in name only, uh... Didn't go to games, didn't really watch games, but on vacation last year, he went to a Sabres-Ducks game in Anaheim. Um, long story short, he left the arena wearing a nice Ducks hat, calling himself a Ducks fan. This was right around the time that the Ducks had the best record in the NHL, but uh, I'm sure that had nothing to do with it. Anyways, now he wears a Ducks hat, can't name any Ducks besides Goldberg and Charlie Conway. Anyway, the Ducks will move on to face the Calgary Flames who basically stifled the Vancouver Canucks. The Canucks continued their trend of not being able to score in the playoffs, while well, the Flames are one of the more exciting and fun young teams to watch. Um, so this is a series I'm really looking forward to. Um, you have a loaded veteran powerhouse team in the Ducks against a young team that surprised a lot of people this year by getting into the playoffs sooner than anyone expected, Sooner, definitely sooner than I expected. Uh, the series will last more games than people would expect, I think. I don't know, about seven games I think six games feels right for Ducks-Flames. One key is going to be special teams. The Ducks were one of the most penalized teams this season, and the Flames, in admittedly a small sample size, have the highest percentage power play in the postseason, and they were as high as 13th during the regular season. So the Ducks take penalties. This series could get really interesting. Uh, The Chicago Blackhawks Blackhawks will move on to face either St. Louis or Minnesota. Nashville. Might have actually been the better team heading into the playoffs, entering the series against the Blackhawks. But losing Shea Weber to injury really seemed to kill them. And uh, quite frankly, I thought the Blues would make quick work of the wild. But give them credit. They've really fought, made a, a series very entertaining. Um, as of this recording, they were tied to two games apiece. If the Blues move on, I think they use the momentum they've built to move Past Chicago, knock Chicago out of the playoffs, especially with the way the Blackhawks' goaltending has shaken out. Uh, Corey Crawford has been nothing short of awful, and um, uh, Scott Darling has been a sensational story. I get it. He bounced around with other teams as a backup and in their minor league organizations, and fast forward to now, he you know came in in Game 1 in relief of Crawford, made 42 saves. Uh, they've been starting him now. He's been very good. But, I mean, there's a reason that he bounced around through other teams' minor league organizations. I don't think you can count on him to keep playing lights out like this. I think if the Wild move on to face Chicago instead of the Blues, I think they stretch the series out, but the Blackhawks eventually overpowered them. But like I said, if St. Louis gets by Minnesota, I think they continue to steamroll and they go right past the Blackhawks. The Montreal Canadiens advance. They will face the winner of the Detroit-Tampa Bay series which has been way better than I expected, to be honest. I thought the Lightning would finish off the Red Wings in five, maybe six games. Uh, The Red Wings would try valiantly, but they'd be outgunned. But that's not been the case. The Red Wings have played really well. They jumped out to a hot start. And uh, something that I thought was really interesting about this series is that Detroit coach Mike Babcock started backup goalie Peter Mrazic instead of Jimmy Howard, who is a tremendous goalie. He's one of the top goalies in the league, in my opinion. But he started this series on the bench uh, because Peter Mrazek, the Red Wings' backup goalie, shut out the Lightning twice this season. Babcock played the percentages. It's worked out so far. The Red Wings have a series lead going into um, uh, Game 4 is on as we record this, and the Red Wings have a lead in that game. Now, the Lightning could flip a switch. They could turn things around. They're a really good team that you can't really write off. They have great balance. They're very deep. They score a lot of goals. Um, but whoever moves on to face Montreal, that's going to be a fun series to watch. Uh, in my opinion, it will be especially fun if Montreal is losing. I I really dislike the Hebs, uh, P.K. Subban in particular, but the fact that he slashed Ottawa's Mark Stone in game one, fractured his wrist, didn't get suspended, that bothers me. That's, That's really a joke, in my opinion. Stone's one of Ottawa's best players, one of their top young scorers, and they paid played the whole series with him at much less than 100%, because Subban basically swung his stick down like a bat onto Stone's wrist. As we've already detailed uh, on another episode of this program, Subban's a cheater. I'd like to see him and his team get sent home to start golfing as soon as possible. Uh, I've saved, in my opinion, the best series for last, not that I'm biased or anything. The New York Rangers will move on and face either the New York Islanders or the Washington Capitals. Uh, with the exception of Sidney Crosby's two-goal game in the second game of the series, the Rangers have really suffocated both him and Evgeny Malkin, um, and the Pens just aren't deep enough to make up for no scoring from those guys. They're uh, very dependent on those two guys. They're very top-heavy, and when those two guys aren't scoring, the Pens really aren't doing much. Uh, they also aren't helped by having an injury-ravaged defensive core, which entered the series with only five healthy defensemen, two of which are AHL guys. To their credit, they played over their heads. Uh, the Rangers are very fast; they execute a lot of really good stretch passes that can catch a defense flat-footed. And those guys have really played, I thought, out of their depth uh, against the Rangers. But I think they've been a little exposed. The Rangers are going to move on. The Penguins are going to go home, probably fire their general manager, and maybe start over. Uh, As for the Rangers, I don't know if I'm the Rangers who I'd rather face. Uh, The Islanders, it's a big rivalry there. They played well against the Rangers this year. I think they took the season series, um, but I don't trust Jaroslav Halak in goal in big games. Uh, They slumped at the end of the season. The Capitals are physical. Um, They're actually a a dirty physical team. Seems like Ovechkin's getting a penalty for a headshot in every game that I watch. Uh, It seems like the Rangers face them and beat them in nearly every postseason. Um, so I think I'm pulling for a Rangers-Isles series, even though I think it'll be a harder series for the Rangers to win. Um, I'm not confident they can beat the Islanders, but for the Intra-City rivalry, um, for the Benson and Zach rivalry, as he's a big Islander fan, I think that's what I'm going to pull for. But I The one thing I know for sure is that whoever they end up facing, that series is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be terrible for the health of my heart. I'm going to You know, be staying up late, not talking to my wife much with my game face and my jersey on. I could talk hockey for the rest of the show, but I'm sure nobody wants to listen to me do that. So we're going to get to this next interview. It's one of my favorites. It's Tim Hiller, former backup quarterback to Peyton Manning in Indianapolis. But to get to that point, he had to endure through a lot of injuries, a lot of trouble in his personal life. And I just appreciated his resilience, his faithfulness to Christ and the way he handled things and the things that he has to say about leadership. So this is our interview with Tim Hiller.
2: Tim Hiller is a former NFL quarterback and co-owner of Next Level Performance. Next Level works with athletes on sports-specific training, focusing especially on leadership and character development. Tim, welcome to the program. It's great to have you on.
4: Thanks, Rick. It's good to be here.
2: Your story is one of remarkable perseverance. A top 10 all-time quarterback in the state of Ohio when you finished high school, you suffered a broken collarbone in your senior year, you get just one D1 scholarship offer and that from Western Michigan, and then in your freshman season you end that with a knee injury that required extensive surgery, and you redshirted during the 2006 season. How difficult was that road back, uh, both mentally and physically, for you?
4: You know, it was, it was tremendously difficult because, you know, especially my freshman year in 2005, I was, I was 18 years old and away from home. And, and that's such a growing period of, of so many, you know, uh, young teenagers' lives. And, and for me to add in that injury, I mean, it was really outside of the collarbone, first time I'd ever been injured. Uh, it was certainly the first time I'd ever had surgery and it was a very significant injury. I tore my, uh, you know, my ACL and MCL and PCL in my right knee. And so. You know, there were some doubts as to, you know, the timeline and and would I be as mobile as I could be when I came back. Um, It it really was a created a period of of searching and seeking in my life um, around, you know, wow, this could end. Um, You know, I can't take this for granted the way I used to. And so it really forced me to grow up in a hurry. And I I think it really shaped um, the way I led the team and the way I looked at the opportunity to play football moving forward in in future years of my career.
2: When you finally did return in 2007, you again played through pain and needed a surgery in the offseason. Then in 2008, you set team records, you led the league in a number of offensive categories, the whole while playing with injuries, and then another torn ACL that led to a third surgery during the offseason. Did you ever feel like just giving up or perhaps though it wasn't God's plan for your life?
4: You, you know, I think there were moments where you just said, man, again, <laughs> you know, again, we've we've been through this multiple times. I think I really felt that in 2008. You know, that was a game. The game I was injured was um, a special day for our family. We, we played the University of Illinois. Uh, we were at Ford Field in Detroit uh, playing them there. And it was kind of a home game for us just on a neutral site. Um, we won that game. And, and, you know, to knock off a Big Ten opponent, uh, as well as, you know, my grandfather played at the University of Illinois and won a Rose Bowl there in 1952. And so there were just all these special backstories. And, um, you know, I got hurt in the third quarter and finished the game, and, and you know, didn't think the injury was too significant, and then found out later that week, uh, you know, over the weekend into the next opponent's week, that um, my ACL was torn, and it was it was devastating in many ways because I'd already been through that. Um, we had three games left to play, and so it was kind of one of those things where you you know, you prayed and you asked for strength, and you said, why is this happening? And and you really had to get step back and say, God, what what is the lesson that you have here? Uh, you know, how, not how do I get out of this situation, but what am I here to get out of this? Um, what lesson is there to be learned? And so um, it, it was really in that situation a lesson of total dependence. I mean, um, to you know get through the the day each day and the pain you were in, and to play three games on that torn ACL before the surgery, it was it was intense. And um, much like you know we might fast in our spiritual life, it was really. Uh, a total act of dependence, and, and really, you know, his, his grace to turn me through. Well,
2: amazingly, you came back yet again. You played well enough, got yourself an invite to the NFL Combine, finished your career as the all-time Western Michigan leader in yards, touchdowns, and a few other categories. One has to wonder: Are you are you just flat out tough, or are you stubborn?
4: <laughs> Some of both. My wife will tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's uh it, it really was um it was two things. It, again, it was it was the grace of God. It was faith. It was prayer. It was um, knowing that he had a plan for all this and then and, and there was some determination in there that you know a single-minded goal and a single-minded focus that really wasn't so much about me and what I wanted but was about the team and being in a situation where I knew the team needed me Um I knew that we would be um better if I could be at the helm and, and offer my leadership um in some form even if I wasn't 100% physically and and it was that grit about doing it for my teammates that um, you know really made a difference and so um, there are lessons from that that I carry with myself to this day. And, you know, you mentioned next level at the, the start of the interview. I mean, those are the type of lessons that we want to implant in the student-athletes because if they can take an experience like uh, one of difficulty that they have to persevere through, that will serve them well the rest of their life if they understand how to get through that time, um, whether it be, you know, as a husband, as a as a, you know, father or mother, as an employee, as a college student. They can really take those lessons that, that are, are formed through that adversity that sport can create and uh, apply it in the rest of their life. And so uh, that's what we try to do. And um, I simply view it as sharing sharing my experiences and gifts and talents with others.
2: Yeah, I want to ask you more about that in a minute. But before I do, um, just you were signed by the Colts as an undrafted free agent in 2010. You got to work around guys like Frank Reich, who in our neck of the woods here in western New York, very popular, uh, Peyton Manning. What was the most impactful thing you took away from your time with them?
4: Yeah, oh boy, there's so many. Um, you know, when you, you go in and, and, watch Peyton work, I think it was a, a real shining example of truly mastering your craft. I mean, I think, um, I think there's balance that needs to be had in our lives, but I think when you, you watch Peyton operate, he was someone who truly did everything he could in his power to master his craft. And, and I think, um, I think we're called to do that in our life, you know, and, and obviously, again, we're, you know, we have families, we have different commitments. Um, in different parts of our life. So one thing shouldn't be all consuming, but to really hone in on being the very best you can be and not accepting anything less than excellence in, in whatever it is that you choose to do or whatever situation or, or job or role that you're in, in your life. Um, that, that's what I really saw from him. I mean, he had done this for years and years and he did it one day at a time. You know, he'd come in and man, we, we met at five in the morning. Uh, I became a coffee drinker because of my time <laughs> with Satan Manning. You know, we we were in there at five AM uh many days out of the week but that's the way we worked and we all learned to work that way and we all had specific tasks that we would support him with in terms of film study and different different things he wanted to know and um that's what I really learned from him and I think I really saw humility in action from a guy like Frank Rice I mean it's it's no easy task coaching a guy like Peyton Manning and Frank was such a great player himself you know many years behind Jim Kelly and and then of course you know led one of the greatest comebacks in NFL history when he got his opportunity to play and um Frank is, is a solid Christian man someone I think the world of and um, really learned you know the value of not only hard work but also humility and he really had a great understanding of how to how to gel well with Peyton how to um, you know sometimes humble himself as a coach and defer to Peyton's knowledge and uh, I just learned a great deal from both of them.
2: We're talking with Tim Hiller, athlete, coach, speaker, co-owner of Next Level Performance. After all you went through and all you worked for to get to where you were how difficult was it for you when the Colts released you?
4: Oh boy, you know, it was tremendously difficult. Uh, it's such, a, it's such a swift thing, you know, and, and there were some other opportunities for me after that, um, that, you know, I was let go again and, and it's, it's, you feel rejected. Um, you really do. I mean, um, it, it's part of the business. It's part of being in that profession. It's, it's not necessarily welcome, but it's a reality. And, uh, it's so swift. You know, I remember when the day I got let go, I mean, I was, I was back sleeping on my in-laws couch, you know, that night about 11 o'clock midnight wondering, you know, man, what happened? You know, eight hours ago I was, I was going to meetings and, and here I am uh, back in Michigan wondering, you know, all right, who's going to call next? And I think what athletes experience, and, and I, I admit I experienced it, is a loss of purpose or identity. And so, you know, you, you've worked your whole life. I mean, you put all this time and effort and energy into your sport, into your craft, you know, what I just talked about, mastering your craft. And then you kind of get kicked to the curb and there's a sense of, well, who am I now and what else can I do and what other, what other different talents do I have? And the reality is, is that you do have other gifts and talents, and you have a lot more life. You will spend a lot more of your life doing other things than being an athlete. You know, it's it's a part of who you are, but it is not who you are. It's what you do. And so um, that was hard. I mean, that was um, a, a difficult challenge for me. There were many, you know, emotional nights and wondering, you know, man, what am I doing wrong? Why is this happening? But um, it's in those moments you have to step back and and realize, you know, God is sovereign to the plan. You get a will for your life and other different talents that you can use in different ways. And you can use your story. I mean, much like we're, we're doing right now, use your story to help other people. And so, um, you know, there, there's been good in that, in that difficult time, but it was a real challenge. And I see a lot of guys that struggle with that, that transition into life after the game. Um, you know, just because they, they lose that sense of purpose and they have to realize that, you know, football or whatever sport you play is not the ultimate. Um, you know, 1 Timothy 4 talks about that, you know, physical training is of some value, but spiritual training is of value in all things for this life and the life to come. And, um, you know, you really have to take hold of that and, and realize that uh, there's a bigger picture here.
2: On top of all you dealt with and staying on the field, you somehow managed to maintain a 4.0 GPA while you were at school. You finished with your degree in your hand. You have an incredible background for your motivational speaking. Can you share a little about your ministry and what you like to share with people when you
0: talk?
4: You know, I, I love to talk about the, the concept of leadership, and especially with young people, because um, there's so many definitions. I mean, more than any other topic that there are books written about out there, it's all about leadership, and, and what is it, and how do we do it, and what does it look like? And I think in the world of athletics, and this is why I'm so passionate about Next Level, um, there are misperceptions about leadership in the athletic realm. Uh, what does it look like? You know, and I, I I would provide a visual case study for the audience around, you know, uh, the Miami Dolphins and that whole bowling situation, Richie Incognito. There are situations in athletics where the people think the loudest person is the leader. And I think in that locker room, we saw a prime example of the loudest person being the leader and getting his way. And that's just not true. I mean, we all have gifts. we all all talents. We've all been given God-given abilities. And we are to lead where we are with use those gifts and talents and the way we're wired to lead from that. We're not to be someone that we're not. We don't have to be loud if that's not our style. Um, we can lead from our gifts because that's, you know, anything else is disingenuous. We're, we're strongest in our leadership when we're being who we are and who God designed us to be. And so I get very passionate about that topic, and I really think leadership is service. And so, um, you know, a, a message really around putting others ahead of yourself is, is something that I always try to convey and try to lead every group that I'm fortunate enough to be with. Uh, leave them with a challenge or a takeaway or something tangible that they can actually uh, apply and do um, as they go back and, and into their places of work or school or wherever they might be. So um, those are things that that really really get me excited, and and I try to just share a lot of practical stories that I've experienced, successes and failures.
2: Next level does some sports specific training. I, your website said it's focusing uh, especially on leadership and character development. Can you talk a little bit about next level and what that's all about?
4: Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's something that we, we've only been around about a year. And what we've invested, um, a lot of our time in it is building out a comprehensive leadership and character development curriculum and material, um, that really we feel connects with student athletes, particularly middle school and high schoolers, but even into early college, um, that's relevant and that connects with them in our media driven world. We use a lot of imagery and imagery and analogies and, and things that kids can connect with as well as personal stories from our own lives and, um essentially, if you think of it in terms of products, we really offer three or four. We, um, we do several speaking engagements where we'll partner with a school or an athletic department, and, and we'll go in and do workshops and, and leadership conferences and speaking with the students, specifically student-athletes. Um, we have an arm of our business that's, that's small, and it's new, and it's growing. And right now we're only in the volleyball market, but we um, we have a travel kind of club team. And those teams, uh, at every clinic they have and then when they have tryouts here later in March and play some of their season. Um, they'll get some leadership content at every single practice uh, if they make one of the rosters. Um, and then we, you know, we do some strength and conditioning and speed and agility training that that really is um, agnostic or indifferent of the sport. So it, it will benefit you in terms of injury, injury prevention getting stronger uh, and faster. And every session that you do there, again, is accompanied by leadership development uh, material. And then we do the sport-specific training. So we focus right now on football and baseball primarily. We do do some volleyball work, and, and we're branching into soccer, and we hope to grow that offering to encompass more and more sports uh, as we grow as a business. But again, every session, whether it be at a private individual, um, a small group, or a team, is a company with some leadership development material to take home uh, takeaways. And so that's really the focus. We want to be known as the leadership development people and the character development people, uh, and the vehicle we just happen to use to do that is sports, um, because we feel like we have kids' hearts and minds and passions captured. Uh, in that environment. And so that's really the model. Um, it's a little different in that we lead with that rather than the training. The training is high quality. There's no doubt you're going to get, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, better with us, but we, we want to focus on the things that really last and, and will last far beyond an athletic career.
2: With all you went through, God clearly uh, has been playing a part, leading you down a particular path, setting you up for this, this career. Can you talk a little bit about when you first came into a relationship with Christ, first became a believer?
4: Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I was very blessed to be raised in a, in a faith-centered home and, and, you know, church every Sunday and, and devotional time around the table and prayer were things that were uh, ingrained in my life through my whole childhood. And I would have told you when I was in high school and I was under my parents' roof uh, that I was a believer, that I was a Christian, but um, I, I, now, I now know that I actually wasn't. And my faith was really my parents' faith. And so for me, um, uh, I came to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord in 2007 when I was away at school. And it was on, on the verge or I'm sorry. On the backside of those injuries and those trials and those challenges, and you know, I had been faithful when I was going to church, but it was a lot of you know really discipline and less relationship. And so, in 2007, um, I really had my blow my doors blown off spiritually uh, at an FDA camp uh, held at Albion College, and I was a counselor at that camp, and I was working it with my my then girlfriend, uh, now wife, um, and was a huddle leader and was you know leading um, the football players through through drill work and then leading Bible study with them at night, different things and um, I really came to see that I, you know, I was so invested in my sport, in football, but it was really more about me, and it was more about the team, and more about winning games. And I was able to to really understand um, God's plan for me in that in that camp, which was to use the platform of athletics, where I had a captive audience, because our society is fascinated with sports, to take that platform and use it to further the gospel, and to use it to impact lives. Um, you know, my life verse has, has become. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as so of serving the Lord and not men. And so I really came to that full understanding of, of that purpose and also just that awareness of my sin and that I needed Jesus uh, in my life. And so it was then that I gave, gave my life to Christ uh, in 2007 and um, had to look back. And, you know, there's been a lot of adventure and he's using it in different ways, but, but he's always been faithful. So.
2: Tim Hiller is a former NFL quarterback. He's the co-owner of Next Level Performance. Tim, how can, uh, how can we pray for you?
4: Oh, I, I appreciate that. I, I need lots of prayer and you know, I would I would pray for um the work we're doing against uh for student athletes through next level. Um, you know, we, we see a culture in athletics that uh uh we don't like and we wanna change and there's lots of good things going on. Um but we wanna highlight those things and we wanna train uh teenagers and student athletes to use the time that they have as an athlete because most of them are not gonna go on to play in college or professionally. And so the time they have, if we can do that well, you know, from sixth grade all the way through twelfth, and maybe if they do get a chance to, to go on to college and play, if we can use that time, um, and teach them these valuable lessons so that they can take them and apply them to their life beyond the game, um, we're gonna have more successful people in our society who stand for the right thing. And so that's that's something that uh, you know, we would ask for prayer for. I mean, we just wanna follow God's will and whatever that is for next level. Um, but that that's our heart and our our, our passion and um, we feel like we're really helping kids find their purpose and, um, you know, trying to do it in a, a discipleship type model. So, um, we, we, we appreciate those prayers and that support.
2: Tim, I want to thank you for joining us. I, Hope we have a chance to do this again soon, but before I let you go, do you want to give your website, tell folks how they can get a hold of you, or possibly find out more about your ministry, or even have you come out and speak?
4: Absolutely, yes. Um, so I, I do a lot of personal engagements as well as what we do at Next Level. Um, you can learn more about my personal work at www.timhiller.com, and you can also learn more about Next Level Performance at www.nl, that's N-L for Next Level, N-L Athlete. Dot com. Uh, we're on social media as well. You can search for Next Level on Facebook, and I'm on there. And, and would love to connect with anyone and, and uh, learn more. So please reach out through the site. Um, We'd love to meet you. And, and, Rick, I'm just grateful for this opportunity. So thank you for your ministry. Thanks
2: again, Tim. He's Tim Hiller, former NFL quarterback. You can find out more information at timhiller.com. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by the good people at Town & Country's Best Solutions. With all the snow and ice this year, a lot of people are having problems with water leaking into their homes. They're finding water in their kitchens, damaged drywall, and ruined floors. If you have this problem, call Tim Ford with Imperial Remodeling at 490-4027. They will remove the snow and ice from your roof and gutters to prevent further leaking. And they can take care of any damage the water may have already caused. If you are one of the fortunate few to have escaped the ice problems, but are considering some home improvement projects like perhaps remodeling your kitchen or turning that unused area into a man cave, call Tim at 490-4027. He will come out personally to talk to you about your project. That's Tim Ford with Imperial Remodeling 490-4027. That's
3: 490-4027. Title sponsor of Benson and those guys is Town & Country Pest Solutions. If you have a pest problem, they are who you need to call. I know it's still cold and snowy outside, but those warm days are right around the corner and those pesky critters are going to start coming out. Town & Country Pest Solutions has been in business for over 25 years and have a team of knowledgeable professionals that guarantee their work. Call Town and Country today at 585 426 5024. That's 585 426 5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town and Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God.
0: Welcome back to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. I picked that bumper song because it ties perfectly into my Pest of the Week, which is all these Major League Baseball teams that are throwing baseballs at each other's heads. T. Swizzle is singing about bad blood, and there's a lot of bad blood in baseball this week. First, in the Royals and A's series, Oakland's Brett Lawrie attempts to break up a double play Slides hard into Royal shortstop Alcides Escobar and takes him out. Now The Royals immediately start running across the infield to come after him, saying he meant to injure Escobar because there wasn't time to turn a double play, so that could had to be the only thing he was doing and you know, was trying to injure Alcides Escobar. I've watched the replay five or six times. Laurie is looking directly at the bag. He's not watching the ball. He's not watching the infielders. He's not glancing at the throw. Nothing. He's hustling into the bag to break up a potential double play like every player is coached to do since Little League. The next day, Royals reliever Kelvin Herrera throws a fastball at Laurie's head, is thrown out of the game, points at his own head, and screams at Laurie that that's where he's going to get him. The day after that, A starter Scott Casimir hits Lorenzo Kane in the toe with a slider in the first inning. The Royals get upset. Their manager and pitching coach get ejected. Royal starter Yordano Ventura hits Lori up and in on the elbow. Here's the kicker. The Royals fans are on their feet cheering for their pitchers who are throwing fastballs at a man's head. The Royals TV crew are saying that the pitchers, both of whom regularly throw 100 miles an hour, by the way, shouldn't be ejected for throwing fastballs at a man's head. Royals fans on the internet are posting, that's what you get for a dirty slide. According to a Royals beat writer, Royals manager Ned Yost, who should be the voice of reason in this situation, says, You better think about it, to Brett Laurie. You better think about it, because we've got guys that throw a hundred. Hundred. You want to mess around? This is insanity. It is never okay to throw at someone's head. You're endangering not only Brett Laurie's job, his ability to play baseball, but his life and his brain. Look, I'm all for protecting your guys. If a pitcher hits your shortstop, you hit their shortstop in the butt, in the back, in the leg, whatever, that's fine. But you do not headhunt under any circumstances. It's reckless, it's incredibly dangerous, it's ignorant, and it's stupid. But here are fans, broadcasters, and a manager who should know better, but not only condone it, they encourage it and they believe it's right somehow. Then, as if that wasn't enough, we have the Orioles-Blue Jays fiasco. Rookie Orioles pitcher Jason Garcia throws a pitch behind Jose Batista, which is clearly not intentional. There's a runner on second base. You don't want to throw the ball to the backstop with a runner on second base. Jose Batista glares at him for several seconds. He's obviously mad. He stares him down. Then he hits a mammoth home run. Which, great, that's the best payback, not throwing a ball at someone's head. But he hits a mammoth home run, he stands around to watch it, he admires it for a long time, he flips the bat, he yells at some O's players uh, around the field on his slow trot around the bases, O's outfielder Adam Jones is yelling back, the two are calling each other Bush League, etc., probably some words I can't use on a Christian program. Look, Garcia's a rookie. He, a pitch got away from him. He's not throwing at Batista for the reasons I've already outlined, but Batista creates a tense situation that wouldn't have existed if he just accepted the situation, didn't create it himself. It's the same thing as the Royals getting livid about Kazimir hitting Kane in the toe in the first inning. It's clearly not intentional if you use your brains and keep a cool head and look at what the situation is. This kind of stuff has no place in baseball, Maybe it's going to take another Ray Chapman incident where someone gets hit and dies or is at least seriously injured before people figure out that all this vigilante stuff on the field is an awful idea and it's going to get somebody seriously hurt. You've been listening to Benson and Those Guys brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. You can visit us on Twitter at BTGProgram, on Facebook, on Instagram, btgprogram.com. I've fulfilled a bucket list item by hosting the show myself. But don't worry, Benson will be back next week. Dang it. You've been listening to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions.